Listening to the Utah Checkdown Podcast. And now your hosts, Josh Furlong and Robert Jackson. Welcome back to another edition of the Utah Checkdown Podcast. I'm Josh Furlong, joined by co-host Robert Jackson. We're ready to talk some football and a lot of Ute stuff to go on today. So let's jump right in. Rob, you ready? I am ready. You know, high school football starts Thursday. Let's do are it. You, uh, are you going to any games this week? No, I have to sit back and edit like a billion pieces. So I'm up till like 2 in the morning editing all that stuff. It's crazy. You blink and then all of a sudden it's uh, football season. So the high school ranks start. And, uh, you know, as we get closer to the college football season, we're going to see more and more of these preseason uh, top 25 polls. Uh, you're part of the AP one. Yesterday, the coaches poll came out. Utah ranked pretty high. Yeah, Utah checks in at number eight. It's the highest ranking that Utah's ever had in program history. Uh, before that, the highest in the coaches poll in the preseason was 15. The highest all time was 14 in the AP. Um, but, you know, number eight, that's that's a pretty serious ranking. Um, they come in there and, uh, you know, they're the Pac-12 favorites. They've got what's there. Uh, other Pac-12 teams in there is Oregon at number 12 and USC at number 15. That follows the same order of uh, the Pac-12 preseason media poll where Utah was picked to win. So, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think there's a surprise in that respect. But, but kind of what, what are your thoughts, your initial thoughts, I should say, on the preseason coaches poll? As as awesome as it is to see Utah at number eight, I still think it's a tad too low. And, you know, I think what, when we see some of these other polls come out, I think Utah is going to be in the top six. And we were talking semantics, like Utah being six or being eight. Is that yeah. a huge difference? It, it is, right? Because that then you're saying that there's multiple teams from the SEC that are better than Utah, which you could make that argument. But you could also say that the best of the Pac-12 would be at least better than the second place in the SEC, would you not? So you would ex- you would expect Utah to be um, ranked higher. And, and it's interesting because I feel like Utah, as far as the coaches poll goes, Utah has usually been given a higher ranking in the coaches poll than they have via the voters in the AP poll. So the AP poll comes out next week. Do you have any insight on what is it? The 15th. Yeah. So that comes out. It'll be Monday and it'll release at 2 PM Eastern time. So noon uh, mountain time here. Um, And I, I would almost, you know, if I was a betting man, if we had some money, some cheddar on it, I I would say that Utah is going to be higher in the AP poll, which is interesting because usually uh, it's been reversed in the coaches poll. Utah has historically been higher. So um, yeah, that, that's a surprise for me to see Utah as low as they are, but it, it is awesome that the program is getting that recognition to be in the top 10. Uh, and, and people say, oh, these, these preseason polls are meaningless. They're not. The, the, it's, a, it's a barometer of how respected your program is um, because you, you're basically voting blindly. Yeah, you have returning players and whatnot from the season before, but it's a clean slate. Everybody starts zero and zero in until the balls placed on the tee and we kick off the season like it's it's a guess it's a it it may be a probabilistic guess but it's still a guess it's a prediction so for utah to be in that top 10 is a huge sign of respect i i'm curious to know what your thoughts are are on usc at 15 because with a new coach 
uh, they were a disaster last season. Can a new coach come in and immediately right the ship that quickly? Yeah, and that's that's the question that a lot of people are going to have, right? And I think you know Lincoln Riley has shown that he is a he's a great offensive mind. He's he's really revolutionized a lot of what college football's done. You know, when he was with Oklahoma, um, but but coming in and, and doing that in one season is really tough, right? Even with Lincoln Riley's ability. Now, with that being said, they loaded up on skills players, they loaded up on wide receivers, and, and did everything that they needed to from that standpoint. They have a phenomenal quarterback that is probably, arguably, the best quarterback in the in the Pac-12. You know, a lot of people want to say Cam Rising, and I don't disagree. Um, I, I I think both of those are pretty much one A, one B. I don't think you can really complain. But at the same time, like, I, I think you've got to have more than just skills players, right? USC's always had skills, skills players. That, that, that's not anything that's different. Yeah, they've loaded up even more, right? You've got a bunch of different people. But at the same time, you've got to be able to do that on a consistent basis on the tr- in the trenches, and you've got to be able to have a good defense that's going to stop it. Unless you can go up against a team where there's no defense on both sides and you're both just going, you know, offensive shootout, I... I it's it's going to be tough for USC. Now, with that being said, USC could absolutely roll the table and 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 win. Their their schedule is really favorable to them. So I you know I I think fifteen is probably accurate. Um, I know coming off a four and eight season, that that seems like a really outlandish statement. Um, but I think with you know the the talent that's been infused into that area, the excitement, you know, the head coach, I think I think it's merited from a preseason standpoint. Now you mentioned that in the sense that. You know, preseason is meaningless. It's not, you know, like you said. But at the same time, yes, in, in, in some respects it is meaningless because there is no games played. We have no idea. I remember Penn State a couple years, they were, uh, years ago. They were, I think, ranked number four. And by the end of week five, they were completely out. They were just atrocious. So this happens, right? But like you said, it's about brand recognition. It's about guys returning. It's about trajectory. Utah was on a phenomenal trajectory at the end of the last season. They're having a lot of guys return on offense. You essentially just lose Britton Covey, um, you TJ Pledger, but TJ, you know, I mean, he, he contributed, but he's not going to be a huge loss based on what Utah returns at running back. But I think that's, that's the important thing is Utah has now found itself in that upper echelon of teams that, that are being considered as, I don't, I don't want to call them a brand name, right? They're not the blue bloods. They're not anything like that. Let's not get re- unrealistic. But they are, are being treated as a team that, okay, you know, from a national standpoint, you should take them seriously. And I think that's why they get in at number eight. And for me, whether they're eight or six or five or, you know, 10, it doesn't really matter. I think it does to some extent in the sense that that's where you're placed. And so voters, being a voter, I see this a lot, you, you know, teams, wherever they're placed, they get the benefit of the doubt. You lose one, you move up. Uh, or you could move up or down, right? Like it doesn't really matter. But but there's not a lot of leeway. There is a lot of leeway in that respect that when you're up higher, people give you more of a benefit of the doubt, especially early on. And so I think for Utah, let's say you come out and lose against Florida, you get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you're you're not going to drop all the way to 25, but at least you've been, yeah, d- been depending there. on how you lose, right? Well, you well, know, sure, if you get sure. throttled 44 to nothing, then yeah, then yeah, you could see a pretty catastrophic fall. But uh, yeah, if you keep it respectable, then yeah, the, absolutely. We saw that with the Rose Bowl. Utah fell two spots in the AP Top 25, losing to you know top four Ohio State team. You know, people respected the Utah program. I'd almost say even more so because of the way that that game played out than um, I mean, it was almost as equally as if they had won. And yeah, you can't, you're not talking about moral victories and things like that, but just the way that Utah showed themselves on the field, everybody like walked away thinking, Oh, wow. Like, yeah, Utah, you know, is building that program out West. And maybe we do need to start paying attention to the PAC 12, which has, 
you know, for the last 10 years, hasn't really had that dominant program. You know, Oregon had a little bit of a, of a run there, you know, they made it to the playoff, um, you know, Washington made it, but every, you know, they got the unfortunate draw of having to play Alabama in the playoff. Um, you know, Stanford was really good there for a while, but this was before pre-playoff. And so they never really got that chance to show what they could do. So I think, you know, Utah's kind of just turning the heads in and really making a case for can the Pac-12 make the playoff this season. And, and, you know, that, that week one game, you know, against uh, Florida, will be a huge barometer. So Florida didn't make the, the preseason coaches poll. They're on the outside looking in. They received 17 uh, votes. Uh, I'm not sure how the votes are tallied or whatnot. So I don't know um, if they got 17 votes or if they got 17, like 25th place votes. I don't know. I don't understand how all that works. All I know is that they are on the outside looking in. Um, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, it's still SEC country. It's still a tough environment. You know, they have a lot of momentum uh, going in their favor with a new head coach, right? There's going to be a lot of enthusiasm that normally you wouldn't have in week. Well, I mean, every every season you're going to have enthusiasm in week one, but I'd say even more so when you have a new coach and kind of kind of breathes fresh air into the program when you know they've kind of been struggling um, in the SEC. Uh, so it'll be it'll be a, a great barometer for Utah. How how well can they perform uh, against a, a really you know, good SEC program. Well, and I think that the important thing here is, you know, like you mentioned with with the Pac-12 and being in the college football playoff talk, right? You know, like, sure, if you're you're put in the top four, everybody's kind of you know thinking that you're going to be destined to that playoff spot. That that's not necessarily there, but I think anywhere from one to ten, if you're in there, you're at least in the college football playoff contention. There's there's others. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be others that are outside of the top ten that are probably in playoff contention you know, by the time these, these polls are released. But I think for the PAC 12, that's a very important you know indicator. Oregon was in that top 10 last year and they got a lot of benefit based off what they did. They weren't a perfect team, right? We saw that. We saw that Oregon had some flaws. They had a quarterback that was decent. He wasn't great, but they were given the benefit of the doubt because they started out at the top. Utah is going to get that same benefit win or lose against Florida. And then moving on into the season, they're going to get a benefit of the doubt and being able to do that. And that's what they need. The conference needs those teams in those top 10 spots closer to number four, you know, three, two, whatever. They need to be able to be there to be able to be in that conversation. Will Utah be a playoff team? I, I don't know. Right. Like I, I, I think, you know, they have a lot of the makeup similar to what they had in 2019 in the sense of they have a team that's unified, that's bringing a lot of veteran players back you know, and, and Utah got up to number five before losing in the championship game, ultimately ending their playoff run. But I think that's, you know, it, it, it's all up to be determined, right? There's a lot of teams there, but you need to be in that conversation. And you need to be there. So from that standpoint, I think it's, you know, it's all about respect and being able to do that. And, and it's, you know, it, it's interesting because this kind of segues into a, a, a different thing we can talk about. But yesterday, you know, the, the poll comes out and it's it's media availability up at Utah and, and everybody's going to ask the players, right? Coaches, whatever, you know, what do you think about these rankings? Everybody wants to get a soundbite of, of what's going on. And and most players and, and Kyle and everybody else, they don't they don't care, right? At least publicly, they don't say they care about these polls. And, and truthfully, they are meaningless. You got to go perform on the field, right? But Devon Vele had one of the best responses I've ever heard, right? He, he talks about where, you know, they don't matter, but he gives some, some background. So let me, let me play that for you, and we'll kind of get your thoughts on that. Me personally, I try not to dwell too much on it, you know. Um, I'm not big on trying to get too big-headed because if we see it, and I feel like I speak for the rest of the guys as well, like if you see it and start thinking like, oh, we're number eight now, you know, we're a top 10 team, like it gets to our head, and then we start getting complacent, and then we start jogging in practice. We don't go full speed because we're like, oh, we're those guys. Like, we'll just show up game days. Like, no, we should still have that chip on our shoulder that 
where that and one thing that Coach Witt has brought up and I actually really liked is being that team that's feared rather than respected. Um, I mentioned it earlier in another interview that uh, a lot of teams respect us now. You know what I mean? We did it on the national stage. We won a Pac-12 championship. Went um, nose to nose with Ohio State. Everybody respects us. Like when they see us now, they're like, "That's a that's a really good football team now." But we want it to be a fearful team. Like when people see Alabama on their schedule, they're like, "Oh my goodness, it's Alabama!" Like it's a Crimson Tide. Like we want that same thing for Utah now. That's the next step we got to go to because now that we're respected, now we need people to fear us. So I feel like that's a drive that's helping everybody on the team right now to um, make those strides to make the changes that we need to be that team that is feared, not respected. Utah is respected, but they need to be feared, similar to like an Alabama. Now, let's let's be real. We're not going to compare Utah to Alabama, so don't get any wild ideas. But we want Bama. <laughs> but like, let's let's be realistic. I mean, Utah. There's no reason they can't be that feared team in the Pac-12, right? I mean, what do, what do you think of his his initial assessment of that? And and do you think it's the right approach to to how Utah should should take a number eight ranking or a top ten ranking coming up? You know, the, the the first word that came into my mind was, wow, like here's a college kid who, who's got his head on straight. He, he's, he, he's figured out like, yeah, it's nice to get that recognition. And a lot of, you know, a lot of us will kind of get complacent, like, you know, complacency is the enemy. It, 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 it goes hand in hand with mediocrity, right? Like if you, you, you get that recognition, you're like, oh yeah, we've made it, you know, we're here. You know, and then you 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 suit up against you know a, a lesser foe, you know, like say a San Diego State who can you know um, and they've proven that to to be able to beat Utah, they they did it last season. You, you go up into these games against G a really good G five programs or you know some of the the uh, teams in the Pac twelve that are currently on the down downward trend or they're they're trying to rebuild like in Arizona, uh, and and they get punched in the mouth, right? So. The, to have somebody say like, hey, like we don't want to be just respected. We want to be feared. We want to take it to the next level. And you, and we've heard Kyle Whittingham talk about the evolution of the offense. But I think uh, Vele is speaking almost to the the evolution of the program to take that next level. And and honestly, it, it gives me goosebumps just to hear it because as a fan of the program, you that's what you want, right? You want to be feared. You don't want to be just respected. You don't want to be like the team like, oh, they always play hard. That's Air Force, right? Everybody respects the hell out of Air Force, right? But you don't fear Air Force, you know? You you respect them. You admire that they fight every single play, whether they're up 20 or down 50. Like, they're, they're going to play hard every single down. That's that's the team that, that these Utah players – want the program to become and and it starts with the leaders like the coaches can preach it all they want but if you have players the leaders of this program within preaching this to younger players that are coming in man that changes that changes every practice that you go through it changes every film session that these players are sitting through it changes like over the course of the entire summer all of these summer workouts i mean the the number one theme that i kept hearing in these these you know first week of fall camp interviews is like hey like this is like a week this is like a week 3 for us because these players have gotten together over the summer on their own and, and like not like via the you know the coaches organizing because you can't do that right like these players have gotten together on their own to do these voluntary workouts and they're so much farther ahead because of all of that work that these leaders have been pushing into them like that to me is how you become great. Like Nick Saban's a great coach, but he ha- has great leaders on that football team that kind of help him carry the load. And and for Utah, you, you've had vocal leaders now and again, but to hear somebody like that kind of recognize that that's, 
the the next step that this program needs to take uh, bodes volumes of expectations for this football team. And you, you don't want to, I, I don't know, you don't want to you know, oversell or overhype, but that's the right thing to, to hear if you are a fan wanting the program to do well. Well, think about years ago, right? Like Utah comes into the Pac-12 and, and, and you know, I think there was, there was kind of a, a split opinion of how Utah was going to be in the Pac-12. A lot of fans initially thought based on, you know, the recent success, the 2008 season that Utah was going to come in and roll the Pac-12. That 2011 season didn't help those matters in the sense that Utah did roll the Pac-12 for much of it and then found a way to lose to Colorado at the end. But in that same respect, those, those first few years, every team like a U.S or in Oregon or those things were always considered the giant, right? A lot of fans got a lot of excitement out of listening to Kyle, let's go slay the giant, right? I remember that quote vividly because a lot of people were really excited about it. Utah was always that underdog team that they were going to come in there and they were going to, you know, they were going to play the best they possibly could and then they were going to come out there and beat it. I mean, I can't remember if you were at that game. I'm pretty sure you were. But when Utah beat number five Stanford for the very first time, they beat Stanford. It was a top win. That place was electric. That place, I mean, beating a top five team anytime is is going to be an electric environment, right? But I think there's a difference in how in how Utah is perceived nowadays, right? Utah is slowly building up to that level. They've been in the conference championship three of the last four years. They're expected to be there for another year this year. They have all, you know, at, at their disposal and now they are the giant, right? You go into USC and you're not necessarily fearful of that anymore. You go to Oregon, you're not necessarily fearful of that anymore. Instead, at the very least, it's a it's about between two evenly matched teams that are going to go head-to-head in a fun game, right? You go against Ohio State. Everybody was expecting Ohio State to have a lot of talent. They did. Obviously, they were losing, you know, Chris Olave and some other players that that absolutely could have made Utah's life a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, Utah went head-to-head with them. They even had a double-digit lead. Utah is now on a different trajectory than they ever were 10 years ago. Utah was an up-and-coming team. They were in there. They were doing the great things. But they were still an up-and-coming team, like viewed like Boise State coming in and beating these teams in, in these other areas. Now Utah is that team that has to stay there. If they want to have that national power, if they want to they have that staying power, they have to continue this. This is the mindset you have to have, right? Like you mentioned you have to have those leaders like a Devon Bailey you know Devin Lloyd and Britton Covey last year you have to have those guys on there that are setting the tone and teaching the younger guys this is how it's done if you can do that mixed with recruiting and obviously getting those wins that's how you build a powerhouse team right Clemson didn't mm-hmm. just come overnight Clemson became a powerhouse you know over the last decade but before that they weren't necessarily that they won a lot of games they did everything but they became a powerhouse and a dynasty type team because they continued to stack those recruiting classes, they continued to have great leadership, they continued to have great coaching. They had that consistency. That's where Utah's at. Now, look, I'm not predicting dynasty runs or anything like that. I think, you know, it's a little, you know, overzealous to be able to say that knowing that the state of college football has a lot of phenomenal teams out there. But in their own right, Utah is in that trajectory. They're doing what they need to. They have the leadership. They have the guys that are setting the expectations and saying, look, we're not going to jog in practice. We still have to have that chip on our shoulder. And it's funny to hear players say that, chip on the shoulder, we're number eight in the team country. But at the same time, it's that same thing, mentality. You have to be able to fight. Nick Saban calls it rat poison, right? He likes to say, you know, the media feeds his players rat poison. It's funny because he's always one to five every single year. There's no deviation. Alabama's always going to be at the top, but it's that same mentality. You have to not focus on what's there and just continue to work hard. 
to, to, to build on this point, I, I think that the if you were to look at historically, like what's kind of been the weakest position group for the University of Utah, and you you'd automatically go wide receiver, right? Yep, you know, absolutely. Wide, yeah, I mean, you could you potentially could make the the argument for quarterback, like, but I, I would say even more importantly, wide receiver. Uh, wide receivers haven't performed to the expectations consistently. Yes, you've had good wide receivers here and there uh, throughout, especially over the Pac-12 era, but consistently that position group has has not performed as well as the rest of the team. And so for Devon Vele, who is the leader of this wide receiver group, to, to have these, you have these young incoming guys like Sidney um, Banasor, uh, Taekwon, uh, Gilmore, You've got uh, money parks. Money parks. A lot of people are high on money parks. I've talked to a lot of the players up there, and every single one of them points to money, and they believe he's going to have a breakout year this year. Like I I can't think of a better mentor for for these young players coming into the program to do it the Utah way, right? Than than somebody like Devon Bailey. Like he's he's he's. I mean, I'm my stock for him just went through there. It was already super high. You know, ever since the. the flea flicker caps that he had against USC, the stock's always been super high, but e- even more so now because he is that leader. And I wanted to build on our conversation a little bit from last week. We talked about, you know, Utah having to to, to build the outside threat. That's kind of the, the evolution of this offense. And I, I, I did a little research and then I, I found out that Tom Fornelli actually did the research for me. He's a, <laughs> uh, a CBS sports radio host. He also writes for the cover three er, hosts, the cover three podcast. Um, but he, he, he mentions that Utah ran against nine defenders in the box 131 times, which is th- the third most in the country. And out of that, Utah was able to get 5.7 yards per play. So Utah had the third most times running against these nine defender boxes because <laughs> defenses were daring Utah to run the football. They're saying, you know, we're going to do everything that we can uh, logistically to stop the run. And Utah was still able to get 5.7, which is the nation's best, by the way, by far, uh, 5.7 yards per play out of that. If you can build on that outside third, then teams can't have nine guides in the box anymore. You're going to have to have extra safety help over the top. You're going to have to double up Devon Vele. You're going to have to have an extra, you know, uh, nickel package in to, to account for the, the two tight end sets. The, the passing game, if Cam Rising can stay healthy, the passing game this season could be the game changer from taking Utah from a really good program to a great program. And I'm so excited to see how they, they can perform against, you know, SEC speed. Everybody says, oh, it's it's so different. I I, I think that Utah, you know, and I could be drinking too much Kool-Aid over here uh, or Diet Coke, whatever you <laughs> whatever you same, want to say. But I, I think that Utah could, could be really good. And it, it all comes down to health. And for for Cam Rising, he has to stay healthy because behind him, the QB two situation, I don't know. It's it's uh, a little tenuous, right? Well, you, you don't you don't have a uh, you don't have somebody that with really that much experience behind you. You have a, a Bryson Barnes who who came in and filled in admirably, had the beautiful touchdown pass to Dalton Kincaid in the Rose Bowl. Like what a tough situation for him to get thrown in, uh, but he he did well. You had Jaquindon Jackson, who had some really good runs against uh, Washington State, but he couldn't hold on to the football. Uh, had two fumbles. One of them, he was already in the end zone, so um, they ruled it a touchdown. Another one uh, was, I think it was in the red zone, and we didn't really see him play much after that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, from your perspective, what, I mean, 
is Utah in a good position or, you know, what, what, what's kind of the, the QB two situation? Let, let me get, get to that in just one second. Let me, let me answer one thing about the wide receivers though, for a second. Um, so you think about it, like you said, they stacked the box. They did everything that way. Can you, this is not going to happen, but could you imagine teams having to scheme a drop eight for Utah and then what that could do to that when you got the tight ends cutting in and you got the running backs and doing all that, Oh my gosh, that would be incredibly dangerous. Now it's not going to happen. Right. But I mean, Jalen Glover would go for 3000 yards. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> But but in that same right, it, it's funny, you know, going back to Vele, he, he talked about yesterday as well that Utah won last year despite the wide receiver groups. He, he you know, took credit for that. He said, look, we, we didn't do what we needed to. We, we sit here and we say the tight ends are the ones that are going to get the ball. We've got two dynamic tight ends and they're going to get the ball. Why can't the wide receivers be that? And so he's challenging them. The coaching has challenged them. They do that, right? So I think I think you're going to see an emergence on wide receiver. I don't know how much that's going to be, but I think, you know, just kind of emphasizing your point, that has to be there. Utah has to be able to get there. Well, and from a philosophy, like, you know, Coach Whittingham has a, it's no secret that his philosophy is not to turn the ball over, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to generate a ton of turnovers on defense, but on offense, we're going to protect the football. So you're not, you're never going to see Cam rising, throwing into to double, triple coverage. And so it, it's up to the wide receivers to run crisp routes. I, have you seen some of the videos from Britton Covey and his footwork? Oh my gosh. For the Eagles. Yeah. He's, uh, he's pretty incredible. Camp. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like his, oh my, yeah. Anyway, tangent uh, Utah, the, the receivers just need to create some separation because Cam rising, whether we like to admit it or not, has been instructed from Coach Ludwig, Coach Whittingham, hey, if it's not there, don't throw it, right? And that's why we saw him take off for as many yards as he did on uh, with his feet. These receivers need to create some separation. Otherwise, they're not going to they're not going to see the ball headed their way. Well, you and, know? And, and, and you're getting you're getting them. Yeah, I with that being said, I think, you know, you, you're getting Kyle that's being a little bit more of a risk taker in that sense. Right. But I think he I think the whole point there is that he has to trust those wide receivers. And that's really been the yep. issue. You know, Vele talked yesterday that the wide receivers are now learning coverages. Right. They're learning the different things, trying to diagnose that stuff. It's not about just running your route. Right. Like running routes are right. great. Like you can do that at the lower level. You can do that and you can absolutely destroy teams but at this level you have to run your routes based on the coverages you have to be able to understand right. that and that's where that next you know step has to come Devon Vele is going to be a great receiver regardless right I, I think unless he has an injury or something like that Vele is always going to be that number one guy he's going to be the guy that steps up and everybody's going to, to you know to love but for Utah to have the success that they need to have, they need to have Vele. They need to have Solo. They need to have money. They need to have some Bastador. They need to have all these guys that step up and do different things that are able to run crisp routes and be able to diagnose that coverage in a way that allows Cam to target them. You, you know, the tight ends The tight ends get a lot of targets simply because they're a mismatch. They can see what's going on. The wide receivers go down there. They block. They have different routes. And then you have an, an, expo, uh, an exposed middle of the field. And so that's... That's where that happens, right? Like, it's not that tight ends are that much better. Grand, you know, they're doing well and they're, they're finding their spots. But it's that there's a mismatch. And so that's where Utah has to really take that. They have to go there. It's not that Kyle is, you know, fully risk-averse. He is, right? Like, he, he's trying to keep it from, from fumbles or interceptions or different things that way. But he also has to trust the people around him. And I think we're getting there. The way that he's talking about it, you know, he, he, he says, we played that quote, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, look out if we can get more on the perimeter or on the outside and do different things that way. And I think that's where it is. Regardless of, you know, Cam Rising, whether it's Jaquindon Jackson, whether it's Bryson Barnes, maybe even if it's Nate Johnson, you know, the new freshman that's just coming in. I don't... 
look, quarterback play is really important, and I think that's an absolutely um, valuable asset to be able to have. But I think you have to be able to have those wide receivers that are going to be there. That that to me matters more than anything else. I don't know what. Maybe I'm maybe I'm up in the night. I, I I'm right there with you. And 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 one of the other position battles that we we've been looking at through, um, uh, through the fall, um, it, it, it is this QB two battle. Uh, you know, Jaquindon Jackson, Bryson Barnes, both have played. Um, we haven't really seen what Quinton Jackson can do in the, in the throw game in, in a live game situation. And we, we've seen it a little bit in the red and white game uh, this spring, but we never really saw um, him get a shot uh, last season, but we've seen Bryson Barnes. He was able to take off on a, on a long run in the Rose bowl. He was able to, to make a, a beautiful throw to Dalton Kincaid for a touchdown. Um, and then we have a, an incomer in Nate Johnson who, uh, the sky's the limit. Like uh, if you hear coach Whittingham talk about like, you know, he, he says Drew Quentin Jackson has been really good. Bryson Barnes has been really good, but then Nate Johnson has been really, really good. So first for, for an incoming player uh, to already get that recognition uh, from somebody as, as um, senior as Kyle Whittingham, who kind of, you know, if he sees, if he says somebody is really, really good, like he knows what he's talking about, right? So I, I I'm interested to see. You know, when is the uh, when is the scrimmage this week? Do you know what day? That yeah, they're be, gonna. It'll that? be Saturday, so they'll have their so their scrimmage. It won't. You know, it'll be a lot of uh, working to get the twos and threes and all that. And then, and Kyle said they're they're gonna try to at least you know filter it out after that on on who takes QB two reps, which which quite honestly is big, right? You you need right. you need a guy to be able to get there. All of them are still splitting reps, although Nate Johnson is getting you know the fewest of them. But you, but you need to be able to be that guy that you know, should Cam go down for whatever reason, even if it's just for you know a, a series or whatever. You need a guy that's getting s- similar. It's still not going to be up to the Cam's level, but you need a guy that gets similar reps. Well, and, and you know sometimes it's like a, a helmet comes off and the player has to come out for for a down, and you don't want the defense to be like, oh, they're automatically going to run the ball up the middle because somebody's coming in that doesn't know what they're doing. You know, you don't want to tip your hand when you only have three downs to get the 10 yards. You don't want to say, okay, we're going to throw away down two, or maybe it happens on a third down in a critical game situation. And you, you don't want to burn a timeout to, to, to keep cam in the game. You you're confident like, Hey, like we're going to put in Bryson. We're going to put in Jaquindon. We're going to put in Nate, whoever it might be. You want to, it's kind of like playing chess. You want to keep all the pieces on the board as long as you can to eliminate the the opponent's moves. Like one of the favorite quotes from last season was game set checkmate, right? Against a uh, game set match against Arizona state when Kyle Whittingham on the sideline, like that's, that's the kind of, you know, logic that you want that that's, you want to be able to, um, and you don't want to tip your hand and we're playing poker. We don't want to share our cards, you know, and say, Hey, this is, this is what I got, you know, before the, you know, we start, you know, betting. So I, I, I think that long story short, I, I think that the sooner the better for solidifying um, the QB two situation so that they can be given the reps uh, the rest of the way through fall camp, because there will be a time throughout the season, whether it's a play, whether it's a series, whether it's the rest of a game due to a concussion protocol, whatever it might be, there's going to be a time throughout the season. It's a long season. It's a tough season. Uh, you're, there's going to be a time where you're going to need to call on your QB two. Um, and you would prefer it to be somebody that you have confidence in. You may not be able to run the full playbook, but you may be able to run a significant portion of it that keeps your 
that keeps your offense pretty efficient. And that's, that's the ultimate goal. Well, and, and, you know? here, here's my, my kind of assessment of how things go, right? Like, and I think Kyle has a lot of different options at his disposal here. You've got Bryson Barnes, which is the safe pick. And, and, and I, I feel like saying safe is kind of doing a him a disjustice, but at the same time, I think he's a safe pick in the sense that he can go in there. He knows the offense. He can run it. He's got a good arm so he can be the true mechanic of that. Now, can you have the? And he's you know, proven that he's not going to be rattled, right? Like exactly. And I think that's that <laughs> how goes many a long of way. us could be thrown into the fourth quarter of uh, a Rose Bowl with your team down <laughs> yeah. and lead the team down to, uh, for a touchdown drive? Like, I mean, <laughs> like, come on, really? That, that's an incredibly <laughs> yeah, n- none tall of task. us could do that. No, and, and and I think you know with him right. that that allows you to kind of maintain some stability. You you might lose some dynamics um, that that Cam has, but at the same time, I don't think it's it's necessarily a huge drop, right? Like I think it's a pretty even killed, sta- you know, a, a nice opportunity for Utah to be able to do that. I, I still think Bryson, ha- you know, can showcase more than we've seen. Obviously, we didn't see a ton, but uh, you know, a lot of players talk about his ability and being able to do it. So I, I think there's trust there. Now with Jaquindon. I, I think the the ceiling is a lot higher. I think there's a lot more dynamic play that can happen with him, right? Not you know, obviously he can escape. Once he escapes that pocket and if he holds onto the ball, goodbye, right? Like he's fast. He's he's really good at being able to do that. He can be a true dual threat quarterback. But the problem with him and and, and he admits it, right? Is he's not been the true passer. In high school, he didn't have to be. He could escape, he could run, you could throw off a quick pass, and, and high school is never going to be that that difficult in the sense that you know a, a good quarterback can can really disrupt a team, but for him it's it's now taking it to that next level where it's okay I have to have crisp, crisp passes I have to be able to hit the windows I have to be able to do that and he's worked really hard to be able to be there. First off, it's being in the right mindset. Over the last year or so, he lost four or more people in his life to death. Right? That's really been difficult on him, and it's been really hard. And so it's last step on anybody, let alone oh, a college athlete that's tasked with you know, <laughs> balancing a college schedule on top of a social life, on top of a, a hectic football practice schedule. I, I can't even imagine. Like, when do, when do you get the time to grieve, right? Well, exactly. Like, and that's <laughs> and, and for him, that's where he was, right? Like, he was grieving throughout the season like everybody was. It's not like Jaquindon was the only one. But I think when you keep adding that onto it, it makes it really difficult. Plus, right. he, you know, with that mindset and just being able to be in there, he just wasn't ready to be the quarterback to back up Cam Rising or Charlie Brewer, whomever you want to call it at that time. But the, the point is, he's he's making those strides, right? Like, we still don't know, like, fully how well he can be as a passer. The coaches have talked about him being able to be there, at least getting there. So in, in my eyes, you know, you have you have Bryson Barnes, who's going to be your consistency. He's going to be able to get there. You probably aren't going to see as many interceptions. Um, there, there could be, right? I mean, we, we don't fully know. But with Jaquindon, you're going to have a much more dynamic player in the sense that he can do a lot more for your offense, probably a little bit closer to Cam's style, although Cam doesn't run as much. But you at least get a higher upside, but you also could have more, you know, interceptions or you could have a fumble or you could have different things that way. And so, like, that's a really difficult task, right? And Kyle's obviously, you know, like we've talked about, risk averse, and he doesn't want to have those interceptions and those those fumbles. So that 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 plays into that. Nate Johnson, I, I think he's, you know, he's he's making a lot of strides. He's he's still a little smaller, right? Like, I think he needs to bulk up. He needs to be able to be in the system, learn that playbook. I think... He has an entire amount of confidence that's going to work for him. I talked to him yesterday, and he's he's a great you know great interview. He he understands the situation. He understands who's in front of him, but at the same time, he's ready to go. You know, he he's ready to go at the drop of a hat, and he can do it. I I still think that's a harder situation, and Utah doesn't need to push into that. You know, maybe if Cam has a significant injury that is is 
you know, not great for long-term you know, situations. Maybe you try to go with the freshman and, and really build up that. I doubt it. I think Utah's in a spot that's okay. But for me, I, it, it still comes down to Bryson, and it still comes down to Jaquindon, and it's just really what you want to go with. I don't know. What What do you think? Do you do – you, you, you know, I like the I, – I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think Bryson Barnes is uh, is the, the proven commodity. You know, like practice reps are one thing, but to do it in a game um, – it's just it, it, it's like acing the test, right? It's like, oh man, we can just jump straight from from all this practice to game situations, and he excelled, right? He did he did very well given the circumstances. I, I still would like to see Jaquindon Jackson have more of an emphasis in the red zone. I I want to eliminate as many hits on Cam as possible. It, it, it's it's always easier said than done. He's just that's the mentality he has. Of like I'm going to fight for every yard, but you want to eliminate as many hits on on cam as you can to keep him healthy. Um, he, all it takes is the, the, the one wrong hit. Right. And then it's a, a completely different season for this university of Utah football team. And so Jaquindon, his elusiveness, his escapability, um, his, 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 his playmaking, you know, he, you, you talked about in high school, he's, he's used to making those shorter throws. What well, what more of a perfect situation than in the goal line? And I know that Utah tried to do that last season. He had some issues with fumbling. Let's see if, uh, you know, a whole off season of uh, working on it will, will pay off. The other position group we're watching is, you know, through this fall camp is the punting situation. Special teams was 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 atrocious as far as Abysmal. The, the punting situation. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't see – you know, the quarterback having to do the drop kick very often for teams across the country, unless they're trying to catch another team off guard, you know, whatever it might be without a, a return man. And then you can pin them, you know, inside the 20 Utah was doing that, you know, pretty regularly because the, the blocking was, was so bad. Um, the punting situation needs to improve drastically this season. What can you give us an update on uh, regarding that? Yeah. So Kyle said that the punting situation is much improved. Um, I, th- I, I think, you know, he, he trusts the guys that are there. You've got Jack Baumeister, who's, who's considered the starter right now. He's a transfer from Michigan state originally from Australia. He hasn't had any playing time, so it's it, we're not fully sure what he can do. And then behind him is Michael Williams, also a junior who's from Arizona, transferred from Arizona State. He had eight punts for forty four point three as an average. You know, I mean, those are good. I, I I think you know the the point there being made. It's it's a dual thing, right? Like you need a good punter, and I, I we saw last year that even when the punts you know got away, you the the you know the coverage, the protection was fine. The punts just still didn't look like they they were as effective, right? We, I think we're accustomed to that with Mitch Wisnowski and, and these different players, you know, Tom Hackett being able to, to do that, that, that you could pin them on a, you know, you know, inside the 10 yard line, five yard line and, and be able to do that. But last year, they're just in the last few years, really, there just really hasn't been a lot of dynamic ability there. And so now maybe with Baumeister and, 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 you know, maybe Williams, Williams is number two, you've got something there still that protection has to happen, right? They have to be able to get that. But I think it's still more trusting in that punter and being able to get it off and being able to get it deep into the, into the field. So look, I don't think we have to go full, you know, 15 minutes on this, this topic, but at the same time, I think those two things have to work together right now. I'm going to trust Kyle. Kyle was pretty honest last year about it. He said it was terrible. You know, he didn't mince words. Uh, You don't hear Kyle talk about that, about his players a lot. But he was, you know, not happy about it. And that was from the beginning of fall camp. So I think right now, it at least gives them more confidence to say, look, we're in a better spot than we were last year. And, and you know, Utah hopes that they're not going to be in a lot of punting situations. They really weren't that many last year. But I think anything like that can help, especially when they had several return back for a touchdown last year. 
So uh, the big news coming out of the Big Ten uh, last night, uh, early this morning, uh, ESPN pulling out uh, of the Big Ten media rights negotiations. This was first reported by the Sports Business Journal. This is good, uh, neutral, or terrible for the Pac-12. Well, on the initials take, it's 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 great for the Pac-12, right? It, the Big 12 was always, or the Big 10, excuse me. The Big Ten was always in the in the the power to negotiate. You're just so used to saying Big Twelve all this <laughs> conversation between the Pac Twelve and the Big Twelve. <laughs> well, the Big Ten, yes, them, uh, the one with uh, the ten next to their name, even though they have sixteen teams now. But yes, well, we won't get into that. Yeah. So the the Big Ten was always going to be the first here in the median negotiation rights, right? They, you know, George Klyavkov said well, we're going to wait for the Big Ten to see what's going on. What the Pac Twelve needed was Fox to steal most of it, and we knew Fox is going to steal most of those rights because. They're tied in with the Big Ten network. They they have people sitting on the board. That was what it was going to be. You know, they they still gave ESPN an offer, and that offer was seven years for three hundred and eighty million per year. Now, you know that that seems like chump change for a lot of these people that are making billion dollars on you know college football and doing different things. But the bigger issue was the time slots, right? ESPN would be given quote unquote the B packages and would have different time slots that that didn't fit, right? They already have time slots for the ACC as well as the SEC. And so trying to right. get into the Big Ten, you're basically just handing over money and not really any inventory. You weren't getting you're anything. competing against yourself, right? So. Mm-hmm. That that B package would be going right against the SEC, you know, the, their main SEC window, and we all know that the the SEC, um, the ESPN is their biggest backer. The Big Ten is Fox, so it's kind of like, hey, like we want you to bid on this this media rights package, but at the same time, you're you're kind of watering down your own product. Like the the for ESPN, they want that early game to be watched by you know all the SEC fans across the country and all the college football fans across the country. So why would they kind of go? And say, hey, we want Big Ten, but we're limited to this B package, which is you know the you know the second you know selection. They're not going to get the A selection, so it'd be the B selection. But then we're limited to this type slot that is going to go head to head against our ACC teams that we're already paying for the SEC, which we're paying a lot of money for. So I mean, from a business perspective, it didn't make a lot of sense. But the 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 numbers, man, three hundred and eighty million dollars a year was the was the offer well, or, I, or what the going rate was like. And I think Fox the, the, was trying that, to do that on purpose, right? I think they were sure. trying to say like, look, we're going to make this really steep. We're going to make it really difficult for you to get in here. You know, we're going to end this 40 year relationship that you guys have had because look, we're Fox. We want to have it. Yeah. CBS and NBC and all these, you know, I, there's reports that Amazon or Apple could also come in and get some of those secondary rights. But I think that was it, right? Fox says, no, we're taking all of the big 10. This is our conference and we're going to do everything we can with it. And, you know, we'll throw the rest to CBS and NBC and let them kind of fight for it. So I, I kind of getting back to that main point, I think this is great for the Pac-12 in the sense that, okay, you've got a lot of inventory, right? We talked about, I think it was you last week that said, you know, the Pac-12 networks has been really innovative in the sense of what they've done. They've got a lot of remote um, capabilities that that can be attractive to ESPN to say, look, we'll sell you the rights to this stuff if you come in and partner with us in the right wind, right? Now... ESPN has this inventory, which is which honestly Larry Scott should have done this four years ago, right? Exactly like when, when he was given the option. But you know, like you didn't know that the uh, the college football landscape was going to be. You didn't know that these other conferences were going to be generating, you know, upwards of a billion dollars a year. Like this is this, I mean, this money that we're talking about is just so 
I mean, it's it's unfathomable. Like, I mean, you look 10 years ago and everybody's like, yeah, you know, this is a really solid contract for the Pac-12. You know, they're, they're going to do partner with Fox. They're going to partner with ESPN. It's a really good deal. We're going to lock it in for 12 years. Well, and now you look back at like that, though, that's that's chump change. Like even the SEC deal looks like chump change compared to what the Big Ten is purportedly supposed to get. I mean, we'll see when, you know, the pen goes to paper and the official numbers are released. But I mean, this is just uh, a very dynamic. It's it's evolving. And I think, you know, it, it's good news for the, the Pac-12 because they're never going to be going head to head with the same time slots as the ACC or the SEC. And so if you're ESPN and you're looking to fill a whole calendar day of programming, like what better conference for you to, I mean, so you have two options, right? You can go to the big 12, which is from West Virginia all the way to Provo, Utah, or you could go to the PAC 12, which is, you know, Denver or Boulder uh, all the way to, you know, I, whatever the most West coast city would it be Stanford. Would it be, I don't even know, but basically to California coastline, right? So which conference are you more likely to go for? You're probably going to lean more towards the the later time slots, right? Because the SEC can play up until 7, which I think their last kickoff would be 7.30 Eastern, which would be 5.30 local. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the Big 12, you might have a conflict, right? You might have some games that are going to kick off around that same time window. The Pac-12, they could schedule almost every single game after that. Not every game, but most games, any game with any TV significance that a, a TV network would want. The the difficulty becomes, you know, how, how does the TV selection look? Like a lot of fans complain like, hey, the six or 12 day selection window of when the game time is solidified is it's a little nuts. I get it. But if you want your games to be on national TV, that's kind of the price you have to pay. I think the biggest concern that Pac-12 fans have is like, Hey, why are you scheduling this game at eight o'clock at night if we're on the Pac-12 network, right? Yeah, yeah. like the, let's, that let's was, have that those games the... at seven, six, you know, whatever. Like, you know, we we can have those on a normal kickoff time. If we're on the Pac-12 network, it doesn't matter. If we want to be bumped to ESPN, ESPN two, then fine. Or even ABC, then then you can schedule us whenever. You know, eight up to eight o'clock at night. It doesn't matter. But if we're going to be on the Pac-12 network, I mean, it seems like you'd have a little bit more of a a fan-friendly kickoff time, especially when <laughs> the Pac-12 network isn't necessarily making money for these schools, right? Yeah. So in theory, it would be, <laughs> and maybe it will be if you know ESPN takes ownership. Maybe you are able to to get an extra, you know, ten million dollars a year from the Pac-12 network offerings instead of it being a uh, an investment that these schools are putting money into. Maybe, yeah, maybe you could get some money out of it. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. But uh, you know, for all the the uh, maneuvering that George Klavikov has has done up until this point, I think that he's in a pretty solid situation, and you know it'll be. I I can't wait for the the details to get ironed out on this because I am optimistic for the Pac-12. I even more so now when uh, with with the news that ESPN is not going to get any Big Ten programming because that you know the Big Ten is the first conference to literally be coast to coast. I mean they go from New York all the way to Southern California, and Fox can have games at noon, uh, you know, local time, which would be 10 a.m. Eastern or sorry, uh, other way around 10 a.m. local, which would be noon Eastern uh, up until, you know, USC and UCLA could kick off at seven or eight at night. Right. Like they could literally go all day. Now, Fox isn't going to do that on their main channel. Like they they, they may have one, maybe two games a day, but these other games are going to be on FS1. Right. So. 
it's it's not going to be like oh hey all day on fox we're going to have college football that's that's probably not in their business model they they still want to have uh news and some other programming uh cbs will probably have one game a day nbc maybe two you know if they want to have like a, a lead into the notre dame um game so you know assuming that uh nbc still gets notre dame i guess that's you know some some news that's still yet to be solidified but uh, the pac-12 is in a really solid position and and i and i think that if they are able to lock down a big uh, i'm not going to say big because big in comparison to what the pac-12 is getting it it's not going to be as big as that. We all know that. We can all agree with that. It's not going to be as big as what the SEC is getting. But if they can get a solid package put together, then maybe you can look at expansion. You can look at like a San Diego State. Maybe you look at a Houston who, yeah, they are scheduled to join the Big 12, but they're not officially a Big 12 member until 2024. So maybe, you know, maybe you are able to pull some strings. Maybe you are able to expand to, to get to the Pac-12, Pac-14, Pac-16. I wouldn't go much above that. Uh, but we don't know, you know, and, and maybe they merge with the Big 12. Maybe they merge with the ACC. We don't know. But at least you're in a good position with something that the networks want. They want that late night TV window because regardless of whether it's Stanford versus Utah, which it would be a great game, or if it's Oregon State versus Cal, people are going to watch. If there's football at night, people are going to watch. And ESPN wants that that content to be able to offer, especially now that they're not going to be part of the Big Ten. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think anything that the Pac-12 can do to kind of set itself off as as the leader of you know these different time lot, time zones or, or time slots, I should say, that's going to be important. That's going to be very important in those negotiations. You know, those those days of where, you know, everybody complains about those night games, those aren't going away, right? But like you said, the Pac-12 games at nighttime, those don't make any sense. You can change that. Maybe, you know, if ESPN, you know, buys up the technology and everything, those are put on ESPN3 or ESPNU or something. Yeah, they're not as great, but it's still probably better distribution than what you've had. Maybe Apple comes in, maybe Amazon, you know, it, there's a lot of opportunities here available to the Pac-12, and I think that's that's valuable, right? But I think, like you said, this is a great opportunity. Now that you know what the Big Ten is doing, this becomes a very vital opportunity for the Pac-12 to explore expansion. They could go in there. They could get Houston. You've got now the central time zone. You've got a lot of these different things that you could go in and get that would allow mm-hmm. you to be able to go relatively coast to coast which is what they want. Now you can go in there and you can have, you know, broadcasting from from sun up to sun down. Now, to some extent ESPN is already going to get that with, you know, the ACC and the SEC. So the S, they're not necessarily going to be caring about trying to get you more east, right? They, they, those games are already there. Now Houston, you know, that's probably out the probably about the middle area where you'd want to go because then you can get some of those middle swinging games, try to maybe still some of the Big 12 teams. I don't think that's really realistic. I think the most realistic is merging those two conferences even though it's not on the table because one of those commissioners is going to get fired at the end of that and nobody wants that, right? So I think right. I, I you know, this is really important to see what ESPN wants. If if they can come up with something that is valuable, that is enticing, that allows, you know, the Pac-12 to be sustainable, I think that's fine. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the Pac-12 can come out of this with, right? The, 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 money, the money is an issue, don't get me wrong, but I think it's more how is this going to be made up? How are you going to be able to do this? Are you going to stay at 10 teams? Does that make the most financial sense? Or are you going to have to bring in others? Are you going to have to partner with the Big 12, the ACC? What does the ACC partnership look like, especially since you can't really break their grant of rights and ESPN has no interest in doing that because you get a cheap deal until 2036? 
So for for me, I think this is this is the best of both worlds for Utah because you 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 get an, in the Pac-12, you get to be able to stay there, you get to have that consistency. The Pac-12 gets to stay together. You know, you get to be able to have the first right to negotiation and being able to take what ESPN has left right off the hills that they don't get it. So. It'll be interesting. The Big Twin 10 deal is supposed to be signed sometime this week. And so when it's officially official, you know, that'll all happen. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see how quickly the Pac-12 negotiates with, you know, ESPN and all these other uh, um, rights. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be ESPN as the main source. And, and, you know, ESPN could absolutely lowball the Pac-12 and hurt them. But I think there's at least they've got to meet in the middle ground somewhere and say, okay, look, you know, we, we need you, you need us. This is how we're going to work. You know, sure. The, you know, ESPN could go to the big 12, but they still don't get all the way to that Western time zone. You you could go to the mountain West, but the the real estate there is just not as attractive as the PAC 12, regardless of what people want to say. It's still much better in the PAC 12. Well, it, 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 I mean, you, you, you brought up a good point. Like ESPN could go to the big 12. Yes, they could. And everybody's saying, well, yeah, we have, we have BYU. Um, does BYU really want to be playing their games at eight o'clock every single week? I, I I think for the sake of being independent, they they have to basically say whatever the TV networks want. We're kind of you know our hands are tied. But when you're in a conference, you can you can start to have a little bit more leverage. And I but you can't I, rely I on BYU playing eight thirty every night, right? You don't want. You don't want as a program. You don't want to be playing at eight thirty every night, right? Like, sure, if you have a big game against Oklahoma State, whatever. Like, yeah, fine. Let's put it as the the prime time slot. We're going to put it late at night. We're going to put it on the main ESPN channel, and that's great. But when you're when you're playing Iowa State, like, you don't want to be playing at eight thirty at night. Like, I mean, every single week. Like, you you want to be able to to showcase your brand. If you're BYU, uh, you want to be able to showcase your brand to as many people as possible. That and you know, people on the East Coast aren't watching at ten, you know, eight thirty at night. So for them, it's ten thirty, right? Like for for fans in, on the East Coast of the program, like they're not going to be watching. Like, that's for that's like us staying up late to watch Hawaii. I mean, people say, I mean, "Oh, like, I never watch Hawaii." That's that's what that's what it's like for people on the East Coast to watch Pac-12 football. Like they're not going to stay up that late. Like. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and, and so for, you know, it, 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 it's, it's going to be like these TV networks are paying a ton of money, but they're going to make sure that they get their worth out of it. Right. You know, I, I think that the, the current uh, TV commercial timeouts are like three minutes, 30 seconds. Like, if you're paying a billion dollars a season, like I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that change suddenly these tv timeouts are five minutes they're already long enough right they're, they're gonna go longer right Fox there's gonna be things that, there's gonna be oh my goodness especially when those games are so late like you're just like <laughs> let's just get this over with it's the third quarter utah's up you know 55 to nothing against stanford and you're staring at the clock and they have like these four minute tv timeouts like come on and anyway i i, I feel like uh, for utah ESPN is the most logical choice. And even if you're not getting a premium dollar, you know, because they're going to be, you know, putting their eggs in the, uh, the SEC basket and there's no secret about that. But if you're able to get a solid offer that keeps everybody happy, it keeps Oregon happy. It keeps uh, Washington happy. It kind of keeps the PAC 10 intact. That's the best thing for the health of college football. You want variety. You want multiple conferences. You don't want this consolidation because there's going to be teams on the outside looking in. There's not every single team in college football is not going to be able to make the the, the party of the big two, right? Even if they go to 32 teams each. So that's only 64 teams. There's currently, what, 128 college football teams. 
that means that you're essentially making a divide between the P5s and the G5s and the games like, you know, Utah State going up against Alabama in week one. Those games go away, right? And essentially you have the NFL light and that alienates a lot of college football programs that alienates a lot of fan bases that may not watch college football anymore. Like if, if, if your team is on the outside of the, of the party looking in and they have their own exclusive playoff and they have their own, you know, in our conference games, suddenly you may not want to watch that anymore. So it would be a sad thing for me as Personally, I want the Big 12 to succeed. I want the ACC to succeed. I want the SEC and the Big 10 to succeed. And I want the Pac-12 to succeed because that is the best thing for college football. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that there can't be some alliance, you know, some handshake where somebody stabs somebody in the back. No, uh, like a real alliance where, <laughs> where there's some trust there, maybe some scheduling. I don't know. I, I don't have the answers, but uh, I, I would like to see all conferences stay intact for the health of the health of the sport you know i love college football um i i want utah to obviously be a part of it um but you know just as much like i want utah state to be a part of it i want BYU to be a part of it i don't want these these you know quote-unquote g5 programs to be on the outside looking in because that's what makes college basketball so great right like that's why we love college basketball because you know saint bonaventure has just as much of a chance to win the whole thing as kentucky like if they get a really good team like that's what makes college basketball basketball so great that's what makes college football so great that's why we need an expanded playoff and we need these p5 conferences to stay intact and you know to basically level the playing field you know give everybody a give everybody a shot and not just consolidate to these two big mega conferences yeah i think i think this is this is a great opportunity for all conferences involved i think it gives you know espn an opportunity to to at least uh, I don't want to say be honest, but be be more reasonable about what they give the Pac-12, right? I don't think they're gonna, you know, short side them and and do anything, but I don't think they're gonna, you know, pay out the nose for for Pac-12 um, rights either. But at the same time, as as they bro- both approach this, they have to recognize, look, this this is valuable for both of us. We need this. If you want college football to stay alive, in the sense of, you know, quote unquote, Power Five conferences and everything that way. This is probably the best bet. Now, you know, after we release this podcast, it's probably going to go all crazy and something else will happen. But, but I think I think it's it's valuable and I think it's important for you know the Pac-12 to be able to have this and being able to move forward. So, yeah, that's that's that. So. We'll see. We'll yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch it. You know, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. If you're a fan of college football, which I'm assuming you are because you're listening to us, make sure you go to KSL.com and play our KSL.com college football pick em contest sponsored by Golden West Credit Union. You can come in, win a ton of prizes throughout the season. Pick the score. It's as easy as that. If you get the team right and you're closest to the score, uh, you could be in uh, running for a gift card at the end of the week or at the end of the season. So, Come by, participate, cancel.com, college football, pick up. Thanks, Robot. That was a fun. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> well, thank you for nice listening podcast. to our, uh, our Checkdown podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll hit it to you next time, and, and uh, we'll talk more about the youths as they get ready to uh, kick off against Florida on September 3rd. Thanks for listening.